0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks so much for tuning in. Well, coming up on this Tuesday edition, once again, the Biden administration is targeting Christian families, this time in the foster care system. A proposed new rule from the Department of Health and Human Services would mandate foster parents to elevate the federal government's LGBTQ agenda above the teaching of scripture or stop helping children. Members of Congress, along with state attorneys general, are weighing in. We'll talk with Illinois Congresswoman Mary Miller, who is helping lead the congressional response. We'll also talk with Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey. In addition to working to protect Christian foster parents, General Bailey is also a part of a lawsuit filed last month by 33 states against Meta Platform, the parent of Facebook, for deliberately engineering its social media platforms to exploit children. Today, I'm joining dozens of other attorneys general across the United States in a massive undertaking
2: to once and for all hold Meta, the parent company of Facebook and Instagram, and its CEO, Mark Zuckerberg, accountable for the deceptive practices and years of harm they have brought upon our young people.
1: That was Democrat New Jersey Attorney General Matthew Platkin, who is leading the effort. We'll get the latest on this lawsuit from General Bailey. In just a moment. And what happens when the U.S. Department of Education focuses more on wokeness than education? Well, stick around. Secretary of Education Miguel Cardona will actually show us. Also, we've been talking about the weaponization of the federal government against people of faith. A blatant example was Mark Houck, a pro-life leader from Pennsylvania.
3: I see five federal agents on my porch with M-16 guns pointed at me. You heard it ballistic helmets, ballistic shields, two battering rams, fully armored vests, and at least 10 marked and unmarked units on the property with PH-2 troopers behind their doors with pistols drawn, two SWAT guys at the back door, at least 20 of them total.
1: That was uh, Mark Halk last month describing what took place uh, at his home in uh, eastern rural Pennsylvania. Acquitted unanimously of all charges, Mark is going on the offense. He's going to join us later to explain. And this should come as no surprise. Disney admitting to what happens when you trade your purpose for the pursuit of accolades from cultural leftists. You lose money. Disney shares are down nearly 17 percent over the last five years at a time when the Dow Jones moved up 38 percent. We're going to take a closer look at the bewildered of Disney with Steve Sokup, vice president and publisher of the Political Forum. Our word for today comes from John chapter 8. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. This is a powerful and enlightened, enlightened declaration by Jesus. The path of this life is illuminated by knowing Jesus. That doesn't mean we see all the way to the end of our journey, but it does mean that we can see clearly what is before us and successfully navigate this path of life. It cannot be overemphasized, the effect of following Jesus, abiding in him through the instruction of his word, and the effect that that can have on our lives, keeping us from the pitfalls and keeping us on the straight and the narrow. That does not mean we won't have challenges and difficulties. We absolutely do, and we will, but they will not leave us without hope and purpose. When Jesus is lighting the way. For more on our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org/bible. Well, today is Giving Tuesday, and thanks to a hundred and fifty thousand dollar challenge match, you can double your impact, but only until midnight tonight. And if you choose to join FRC as a stand member for just twenty dollars a month, you'll receive a free copy of George Barna's newest book, "Raising Spiritual Champions: Nurturing Your Child's Heart, Mind, and Soul." So to take a stand for the next generation and partner with us on this Giving Tuesday, call us right now at 800-225-4008. That's 800-225-4008. We have FRC team members standing by to take your call. Again, that number, 800-225-4008. Well, the Biden administration. The Biden administration's Department of Health and Human Services has proposed a new rule that would target and penalize potential Christian foster parents by claiming they would not provide a safe or appropriate environment for children due to their biblical values. Now, what we've seen happening in the foster care system is a decline in families actually opening their doors to foster children. So we're, we're actually at a crisis point, but here we have the federal government of the Biden administration wanting to actually push more families out of the foster care system. And, and given the crucial role that faith-based participants in the child welfare system play, why would the Biden administration pursue a policy that will only hurt vulnerable children? Joining me now to discuss this and more is Congresswoman Mary Miller, who joined with several of her Republican colleagues to send a letter to the Department of Health and Human Services demanding a rescission of this proposed rule. She serves on the House Committee on Agriculture and the House Committee on Education and the Workforce. She represents the 15th Congressional District of Illinois. Congresswoman Miller, welcome back to the program. Good to see you.
4: Hi, thank you for having me on. It's another sad day under the rule of the Biden administration.
1: So so how will this help children?
4: Well, it's not going to help children, but they've proven they don't care about children and they don't care about parents. Um, you know, they care about big government and they have an agenda of total control. They want people to be weak. This is damaging children, our next generation. Um, it's going to cause, you know, instability for these kids that um, need stable homes to be, you know, placed in. I know. In Illinois, they went after um, Catholic foster care, and thankfully, the Catholic services backed out. I mean, it's, it's bad. They refused to place children in same-sex um, households, and we lost 5,000 foster homes. It's very sad.
1: Yeah, so it's the children that suffer from this. But So to, to be clear for our viewers and our listeners, this rule— um, that is being proposed by the Biden administration would mandate that foster parents and family families utilize a foster child's identified pronouns, chosen name, and allow the child to dress in an age-appropriate manner that the child believes reflects their self-identified gender identity and expression. What this does is that it essentially says the only answer to this issue of gender dysphoria is to go along with the federal government's approach. If you're a Bible believing Christian and you believe that a child as an individual, you're made in the image of God and that he created you, you can't teach the child that that would run afoul of what the Biden administration is proposing.
4: I mean, it's a total attack on freedom of conscience, freedom of religion. Um, And the other thing, I I can't get over, is that we are, or the Biden administration is promoting the radical mutilation of a child's body to get the body to fit the mind, instead of helping the child's mind fit the body. And no matter how much you mutilate the body, every cell in that child's body is either XX or XY. I mean, this is just... It's insane. They don't represent the American people. They're, they're completely um, out of touch with the American people. American people don't support this.
1: So, so this, this rule implies, and it, I'm, I'm actually quoting from the letter that you sent to the yeah. Department of Health and Human Services. The, the rule implies that to not affirm a child's sexual orientation or gender identity is abuse, and this sets a dangerous precedent way beyond simply this rule for adoption.
4: Right. These people are perverts. Every person in the Biden, Biden administration's cabinet is just so radical. They don't represent the American people. And this secretary, Cordona, has been promoting uh, transgenders and girls' athletics and in their locker rooms, in their safe spaces, Um, They are promoting just perverted literature in libraries, going after parents and schools that want to resist. And we're not getting that much done here in Congress, but uh, one thing we can do is stop some of the bad agenda. And we are going to be loud about this. This is, it's continual radicalization of our country. And I just want to tell the American people Don't be afraid to speak up and and push back.
1: Essentially, what this is saying is that government under Joe Biden knows better than God what is best for children. That's that's essentially what this administration is saying when it comes to the LGBTQ agenda, which they are. It's I've said this before. It is the unholy. Uh, Trinity for them. It is abortion, the LGBTQ agenda, and climate. It's in everything, right. everything that they do. Uh, you mentioned. Well, yeah, go, go ahead.
4: Apparently, they believe it because Cordona misrepresented President Reagan and misquoted him.
1: Well, so I, I want to go to that. <laughs> I want to play that clip because I, I know you serve on the depart, on the uh, uh-huh. committee on education, and this is very telling. This is what happens when the Secretary of Education has, you know, the whole federal agency on education is more focused on bathrooms than obviously teaching history. Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna play this clip. Uh, This is uh, the secretary speaking uh, earlier this month at a, um, uh, this is a a Western Governors Association in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, a very, very difficult place to go. Uh, Play clip number four. We're gonna set up follow-up calls with every governor we met with to make sure we're available. Um, As uh, I think it was President Reagan said, we're from the government. We're here to help. Now, he didn't realize what he was saying. Obviously, he doesn't uh, know his history. But I want to play the clip from Ronald Reagan where he, and he used this a lot. He used this, he said this a lot. Uh, But play clip number five. I think you all know that I've always felt the nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Mary, how do you respond to that?
4: Well, he also said in this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. And I think that the American people have a very low view of government and the, quote, experts that want to rule every aspect of their life. They can't even figure out basic biology. And I don't know, I've been rereading Deuteronomy 28 about the blessings and cursings on a nation if they obey or disobey God and one of the curses is that he would put us in or put the nation in confusion and you know we're completely in confusion we need to go back well repent turn back to God um, acknowledge that God's ways are perfect he created us he knows what's best these, I always told my kids that the government is a necessary evil, and it needs to be constantly kept at bay. It's like a cancer that wants to continue to grow. We need just accountability, and we need to hold these people accountable for trying to, um, well, uh, just destroy our children, body, soul, and spirit.
1: So true. So true. And I, I tell folks all the time that what we do here in Washington, D.C. is just to keep the barbarians at bay so that the church and believers can do the work that they've been called to to win hearts and minds of people. And this is the kind of stuff we're talking about, going after Christian foster parents, keeping them from being able to to provide a safe environment for children. Mary, thanks for joining us today, and thanks once again for your leadership on Capitol Hill.
4: You're welcome. Thank you.
1: All right, folks, stick around. On the other side of the break, we're going to continue this conversation with the Attorney General of Missouri, Andrew Bailey. Also, Uh, he's a part of a bipartisan lawsuit of Attorneys General against Meta, the parent of Facebook, for intentionally designing their social media platforms to manipulate children. That's next. Don't go away.
5: Get this free guide at frc.org slash to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, more than uh, 40 state attorneys general have sued meta the parent company of both Facebook and Instagram for intentionally designing and deploying addictive features to its platforms that put youth at risk. Now the harmful impact of these platforms on children and teens can include increased levels of depression and anxiety, increased hyperactivity, lack of sleep and other mental health concerns. Now did meta lean into addicting children to its platforms while misleading the public about such harms, joining me now to discuss this and more is Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey. General Bailey, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you for having me on. I, I want to get to this, and then then I, I want to uh, I want to talk about the the lawsuit the uh, the the letter that uh, the attorneys general I think about eighteen or nineteen of you have sent to the Biden administration regarding. Uh, Christian foster care families that under a new rule being proposed by the Biden administration would essentially be kept out of the foster care business.
2: Yeah, and you know, both issues are about protecting children. And when it comes to the lawsuit against Meta, this is an important piece of litigation. We've exposed the manipulative practices of the Meta platform that design features in order to make kids addicted. And lo and behold, screen time is bad for kids. And I think one of the problems here is that Meta has hidden their uh, head in the sand and refused to uh, obtain data or, or scientific studies to measure the negative harmful impacts on kids and uh, denied, deprived the public of access to that information. But that's in keeping with their their practices. Look, when they, were, uh, when they were manipulating their platform to make kids more addictive, they were doing it to obtain personal information, to maximize their profits, and it's putting kids at risk
1: they knew this information internally documents that reveal that they they knew exactly what they were doing and there are negative physical psychological consequences that have come from this
2: yeah absolutely the the mental and emotional impact of the addictive features of big tech social media platforms specifically meta in this instance have been uh, immediately Impactful on children in a, in a harmful way, and it violates the consumer protection laws of the state of Missouri when uh, the platform is depriving parents of access to information necessary uh, to, on, upon which to make good decisions about the health and safety of their children. When they're they're uh, fraudulently, uh, you know, attempting to make the kids addicted to the platform, that violates the law, and we're going to hold them accountable.
1: What's quite significant about this is that I think last month when it was first filed, it was about thirty-two states. Now we're up to over forty. This is a bipartisan effort. I mean, you've got Democrats, Republicans from, you know, blue states, red states joining together in this uh, effort to hold Meta accountable.
2: Yeah, that's right. I mean, look, child safety should be a bipartisan issue. I'm proud to have uh, joined with colleagues, like-minded colleagues in other states that want to put the safety of children first and and hold wrongdoers in the big tech social media world accountable. And certainly we've seen a repeated pattern of behavior for meta uh, not only to abuse uh, children in this context and to deprive the public of access of, uh, to information but to violate our constitutional rights to free speech by uh, you know acquiescing to government censorship right. demands so we we have repeated instances of, of bad behavior here and again this is a full court press all hands on deck approach to make sure we're holding this uh, monolithic monopoly uh, accountable
1: so where does this go as i said the, the suit was filed last month what's the status What are the next steps?
2: Well, this is a 233-page complaint with detailed facts and allegations. And I'm here to tell you, we've got the evidence to back up the allegations. And we'll continue to pursue additional evidence through the tools of formal discovery. And uh, we'll eventually likely file an amended petition based on additional allegations that we'll uncover. But right now, we're in court and we want an injunction. We want the court to order Meta to stop Uh, using their features in such a way to make kids addicted, uh, stop luring kids into these addictive features and to to post parental consent so that, uh, you know, kids under 13, their parents know what uh, these features, what's involved in these features and can make decisions to protect the kids. We also think there should be some monetary uh, compensation for the victims. We've got to build a fund to study this problem figure out how bad it is the negative emotional and and mental impacts on kids and make sure that they're they're treated and taken care of in the aftermath of of this fraudulent behavior
1: so i I know this is focused on on children who are vulnerable and they're being manipulated here but this goes beyond the, the algorithms the way this is set up it affects more than children does it not
2: yeah, it absolutely does. Look, if it's a, it's intentionally designed to be addictive for children, it, one one can certainly infer that they're doing the same thing to make it more addicted to adults as well. And I think you see the uh, increased frequency uh, that all people of all ages are spending on on their uh, addicted to these platforms on their on the screen, and so. Uh, It's important to start unraveling this. Again, I think that Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act has been misinterpreted by the courts and has allowed this dangerous monopoly in big tech social media to exist. And this is just one more line of effort to dismantle that and and right the wrongs of the past.
1: I mean, it kind of reminds me of Big Tobacco uh, when they knew that uh, nicotine, their product was harmful, but they kept selling it, peddling it, and and eventually they came tumbling down.
2: That's right. In the 1990s, there was evidence uncovered through a lawsuit similar to this that big tobacco was specifically targeting children and, and peddling an addictive product to children to the harm of children, then hiding uh, the, the science and medicine that would have uh, proven these harms. And I think this this case is going to be very similar. And I think history will look back on this moment in time and, and celebrate that we took a stand to protect children against this this uh, pernicious behavior.
1: Very quickly, speaking of children, as I mentioned at uh, the opening, that you, along with uh, about, 19, about 18 other attorneys general have sent a letter to the Biden administration regarding this proposed rule on foster care families, essentially targeting Christian foster fair, uh, uh, Christian foster families. What, what do you hope to accomplish?
2: Well, we can't let Biden relegate Christian families to second-class citizen status, and that's exactly what he wants to do. He wants to demand that if you want to be a foster placement and provide a loving home for a kid who's suffering from abuse and neglect, And open your doors to that that home, you've got to swear an oath of allegiance to a radical transgender ideology and reject your faith and your beliefs. And that's unconstitutional. It violates the First Amendment protection for religious freedom. And that's what we're fighting against. There are 13,000 kids in Missouri foster care that need loving homes. Why is President Biden trying to exclude so many of these Christian families from opening their doors to these kids in need?
1: Yeah, it's clearly not about the children. General Bailey, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for covering these important stories and for having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Keep us posted. General Andrew Bailey of Missouri, fighting for families. All right, after the break, Mark Houck, the pro-life activist acquitted after the FBI targeted him in a pre-dawn raid of his house, has filed a lawsuit against the Department of Justice. He's fighting back, and he joins us after the break to give us the details. Stay tuned. More Washington Watch straight ahead. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Tony Perkins, good to have you with us. Now, we've watched as the Biden administration has weaponized the federal government to target and prosecute anyone who dares oppose their agenda. Now, among the most emblematic of such prosecutions was that of Mark Halk, Pennsylvania pro-life advocate who was arrested uh, at his home for defending his son in an altercation outside of a Pennsylvania abortion facility. He was arrested in a highly politicized raid by the FBI more than a year after the incident. and He was facing more than a decade in prison. Now, Houck was acquitted unanimously on all charges. Hauk has now filed a lawsuit against the FBI and the Department of Justice noting both the faulty investigation and the use of excessive force by the SWAT team arresting him in front of his family. Joining me now to discuss this is Mark Halk. Mark, welcome back to Washington Watch.
3: Thanks, Tony. Great to be back with you.
1: So I, I, I want to just to set the stage because, you know, it's been a while since you've been on and some people may have forgotten this account. There in in Pennsylvania, local authorities refused to press charges on any of this. This thing was finished and done, right?
3: That's right. Uh, within months of uh, the original altercation, uh, the DA didn't want to press charges. It was just a local problem handled by a private criminal complaint, which was totally dismissed uh, in April of 2022, which was six months after the, uh, the incident. And then, of course, the raid, like you said, was, uh, was almost a full year later.
1: And this was based upon the... FACE Act. This was a, a law that goes back to the Clinton era that uh, the Freedom of Access to Clin- Clinic Entrances Act. Sh- again, give us a quick uh, overview of what happened that morning at your house.
3: Sure. Well, it was 6.30, 6.45 in the morning when a heavy bang came to my door and uh, the people outside, I didn't know who they were, could not see them, didn't announce themselves, just demanded that I open up the door When I came to the door, I asked who they were. They said it was the FBI banged again. I said, stay calm. I got seven babies in here. And suffice to say, when I opened the door, there was 20 plus federal agents and PA law enforcement, state troopers on the lot with M16 guns and pistols pointed at me and then eventually at my wife and seven children. And they took me into custody about three minutes uh, later with no warrant issued or, or presented to us at the time.
1: Uh, no warrant. They just arrested you based upon what?
3: Well, they had a warrant, but they didn't present it. Um, and when we asked them for it, they said uh, we're taking him with or without a warrant. So once I was placed into custody, they turned over a cover sheet to a warrant. So it was a warrant for my arrest under the FACE Act, as you said, but uh, but they weren't prepared to offer it to us uh, when my wife demanded that that she see it.
1: So we know now this went on the court. You had to defend yourself in court, but they, they they threw it out. There was no basis for them to bring these charges against you in the federal court. Is that correct?
3: Well, they tried to make the case that there was a basis, but uh, 12 jurors of my peers said there was no case. And uh, unanimously, unanimously, it has to be guilty or not. Uh, they decided that uh, there was no evidence and, and motive was not there. So. Uh, it was total abuse of uh, prosecutorial misconduct, I should say. And uh, the way they handled the investigation from the FBI, uh, put my children in harm's way, put my wife at risk, put us all in, in grave danger. And so that's why we're, we're suing the government right now.
1: No, so I, I, and I commend you for that, because this is one of the ways that we hold the government accountable that is out of control. So t- tell us about this lawsuit and, uh, and, and and what you've heard so far.
3: Sure. So we filed uh, two weeks ago uh, our preliminary complaint uh, that the government now has six months to reply to. This is just an initial complaint that has to do with basically things that can be itemized, lost income and quantitative data that we have as a result of uh, the raid. Uh, Ultimately, it will move towards something that's more punitive. Uh, on a second level. But right now, this is the first wave where we're demonstrating the type of traumatic effects and, and uh, uh, effects that were brought on to our family as a result of this uh, 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 poor and dangerous decision on the part of the, the federal government.
1: And look, I'm, I'm a f- former law enforcement. I am a law and order guy. I know you are as well. But when they, they cross the line and they politicize our system of justice, we have to hold them accountable. And I do hope that you go beyond just the quantitative damages here done to your family to make it punitive. Someone should pay a price for what they did you, because it wasn't just about you. This was a message that they were sending to pro-lifers across this nation.
3: Oh, 100 percent. And we will do that, no doubt. Uh, look, The government in an instant took away the innocence, stole the innocence of my children in an instant. Yes. And, uh, you know, you can't put a price on that. These children have nightmares to this day. These children are alarmed every time an unannounced person comes to the property. You cannot imagine what the long-term effects are going to be. You can only just... Hope that that all goes well, but you know, look we see the immediate effects uh, as a result of it, and um you know we're we're going to hold the government accountable because it's necessary in order to prevent this from happening to future yes. Americans, and yes. that's one of the reasons why we're doing it.
1: and and I want to commend you for I mean, you could just kind of sweep this under the rug, put it behind you and say this is the past, but you're 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 doing this not just for yourself, you're doing this for the rest of America by holding. Right out of control government accountable. So uh, so Mark, I thank you. Thanks for joining us. And I'll encourage our viewers and listeners to be praying for you and for your children, that this oh, will be something so that the, the Lord will heal uh, in your family, because I know it's, it was certainly traumatic.
3: Amen to that. And you know what? Kids are resilient, but God's grace was sufficient during the raid and during the trial. And it's certainly ever more abundant uh, right now, uh, post all of this. So thanks right. so much, Tony. God bless your work. Thank you, Mark. All right, folks, stick around. On the
1: other side of the break, Disney admitting wokeness has cost them. That's next.
5: Get this free guide at frc.org slash pro-life men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives.
1: All right, as I mentioned, today is Giving Tuesday, and thanks to a $150,000 challenge match, you can actually double your impact, but only until midnight tonight. So, if you would like to be a partner with the Family Research Council and Washington Watch, and let me remind you, we are not like NPR. We don't get any government money. We're here because of folks like you all across this country who are partnering with us. So if uh, you'll give us a call before midnight tonight, your contribution, your partnership will be doubled. So give us a call. We've got uh, team members standing by to take your call, 800 225 4008 That's 800 800- Two two five four zero zero eight 4008 to partner with the Family Research Council. Earlier today, Disney CEO Bob Iger led a town hall for Disney employees where he admitted to uh, smooth over another down year for the mouse that featured disappointing revenues and a sagging stock price. They're going to have to to take some action. Well, after years of complaints from parents about the company's woke agenda and family programming, Disney admitted last week in its year-end SEC filings that it faces a, quote, misalignment with public and consumer taste and preferences, end quote. So, will Disney learn from its mistakes or do they want a new public? Uh, and will others others realize that the losses that Disney has encountered can be expected when an organization loses its understanding of its purpose. Well, joining me now to discuss this is Steve Sokup. He's the vice president and publisher of the Political Forum and the author of The Dictatorship of Woke Capital. Steve, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you very much for having me, Tony. I appreciate it. So give us the rundown on the, uh, the, the Disney Town Hall today. Well, it, it,
6: for those who are expecting major announcements from Bob Iger about, uh, you know, any of a variety of issues, uh, the town hall today was probably a disappointment, um, as I understand it. And granted, I wasn't there. Um, Iger was pretty staid and pretty complacent and and, and fairly un uh, unwilling to make any sort of news in today's uh Today's meeting. So I, I don't think that it was quite as newsworthy uh, as it was built up to be, but that's not to say that the news around Disney hasn't been uh, rather significant over the past several days.
1: Well, let's talk about uh, some of that significant news. Let's talk about their uh, year end SEC filings and this uh, misalignment with public and consumer taste. What is that? What are they saying?
6: Oh, well, what they're saying is that their values differ from what the values of their uh, expected audience are, uh, and, and that's a big deal. Um, for a long time, Disney would has professed to be the arbiter of values, and it turns out that the American public said, no thanks. Uh, we're not interested in allowing you to tell us what we should or should not believe. We're not interested in having you uh, inculcate our children in what they should believe. Uh, and we're not going to spend our hard-earned money uh, rewarding you for trying to do so.
1: So, is this a political epiphany for uh, for Disney? Is it a, a revelation of truth? Uh, it should be.
6: Um, I I think Disney faces a couple of, of very serious problems uh, in trying to recover from uh, this misalignment. Um, the first of these uh, is the fact that. Uh, It's in the business uh, of of selling values. Uh, You know, storytellers uh, from Aesop to Jesus to, um, you know, the the Grimm brothers all the way forward uh, have have been in the business of using storytelling uh, to transmit values and virtues from one generation to the next. And that's the business that Disney got in. Um, If its values and virtues do not align with the public, Ah, uh, then it it becomes a serious problem. It's not as if they can simply say, you know what, we're going to go back to neutral. We're going to take politics and social policy out of our films. We're no longer going to tell stories uh, that have values. I mean, that's the business they're in. They have, uh, they tell stories that have that have uh, morals. They tell stories that are intended to transmit values from one generation to the next. uh, And that makes it very difficult. The other problem that Disney has is uh, its choice of of leadership at this point. Um, Disney is a political organization uh, in large part because of Bob Iger. Uh, This didn't start this year. It didn't start in Florida. It didn't start with Governor Ron DeSantis. Uh, As I note in my book, The Dictatorship of Woke Capital, Bob Iger has been fighting a political battle, uh, particularly against conservatives Uh, for at least the last decade. Uh, He's fought the battle in North Carolina. He's fought the battle in Georgia. He's fought the battle in Florida. This is something that he believes firmly in. Uh, And the fight against uh, Governor DeSantis in Florida that made so much news over the last several months uh, was, in fact, Bob Iger's doing. Uh, If you look at what Disney has said about when it decided to get involved, it was when Bob Iger emailed Uh, the then current leadership and said, we have to do something uh, about this law in Florida. We can't sit idly by and allow this to happen. Uh, And what Disney decided to do was fire Bob Chapik and bring back Bob Iger. So I I think Disney has two serious problems. Uh, Their business model is one of selling values. uh, And the man who runs the company is an aggressively and overtly political player.
1: So based on that, Steve, when what you talk about here is Disney is not just, I mean, it's not just entertainment. What they, they, They've they damaged their brand. They are the brand, and they've damaged that brand by what they've been doing over these years. And so it's not like people are going, oh, they've cleaned the place up. It no longer smells bad, and so I'm going to go back in. I mean, they have damaged their reputation. And and to the point of Iger, I I, I got a readout of the the, the town hall meeting that they had. And and he basically is blaming, you know, having too many movies out. He's looking at the product, but there's no discussion of the brand. So I'm not quite sure that he fully understands how damaged the Disney brand really is.
6: Yeah. In order for, the public's reaction to the politicization of Disney uh, to have an impact on the way Disney functions, uh, Bob Iger has to get it. Uh, In order for any of these businesses that have been punished by the public over the last year for being political, uh, in order for any of them to uh, make any headway in winning back their customers, they first have to get it. It, It's become clear, for example, uh, that Target does not get it, Uh, that Target does not understand why, uh, its customers left it behind, why its customers got upset, why its customers started to boycott, uh, and that they're doubling down on uh, the tactics that in fact alienate. Uh, hey, let
1: me, let me uh, what- uh, unpack that for just a moment. I know we're talking about Disney, but I think this is a, a prime example of what Target is doing. Not only are they not backing away, they're doing more of the same. Yep, yeah, absolutely.
6: Uh, not only are it was bad enough. When they decided to politicize and sexualize uh, the month of June, specifically because that's Pride Month. But now they're doing very much the same to Christmas. Their Christmas displays are uh, reportedly very aggressively uh, sexualized and very aggressively politicized. And, And that is a demonstration of the fact that the management of Target doesn't understand or is unwilling to accept the verdict delivered
1: to it by the public. So let's talk about that verdict for just a moment. Let's talk about the bottom line of these companies. I mean, what? how are they explaining this away to shareholders?
6: I, I, that's a good question. Uh, I don't think they can explain it away to shareholders without sounding crazy. Um, in order to explain it away, to away, away to the shareholders, they have to as as you implied uh at the beginning at the beginning of this segment citing Bertolt Brecht they would have to say the public is wrong and we need a new public we need to elect a new uh public and 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 that's not any way to function uh in a uh commercial industry uh, such as targets in uh any way to function with shareholders it, it, it's essentially courting uh, the wrath of both uh, customers and
1: shareholders. So, so, Steve, let me ask you this question. Uh, this is my sense that they feel like oh, this is just a fad. It's going to blow over and the public will forget all about this in another six months and it'll be back to business as normal. But that doesn't appear to be happening. The, the public seems to be fixed on this. When they're forcing something down the throat of the public that the public doesn't want, they're not buying it.
6: No, I think the public is exhausted with politics being everywhere and in everything. Uh, It's not that Target is left-wing. It's not that Bud Light embraced left-wing values. It's not that Disney is liberal. Uh, They are, uh, and in fact they have, but that's not the point. The point is that people are tired of having politics shoved down their throat at every possible occasion. Uh, They're just exhausted with the whole thing, and it's not something that's going to go away. As long as they keep doing this, this is something that the
1: public is going to react negatively. So how long will these businesses survive?
6: Well, I I, I think they survive in one form or another for a long time. Uh, The question is how long does management survive? Uh, How long do the boards and, and the shareholders uh, agree to keep Bob Iger on, for example, if he doesn't get it, if he continues to pursue uh, the agenda that got Disney into trouble in the first place. Um, I don't think Bob Iger is the man for the job. He may have built Disney into a, into a giant entertainment company, and he may be the nicest man in entertainment, as everybody says, but he is not for the, the man for the job at this point. And eventually, uh, the Disney board and Disney shareholders are going to get tired of what uh, what he's doing and his inability to recognize uh, that he's a big part of the problem.
1: So Steve, when you look at you, you mentioned target, they're doubling down. Their stock is down. Uh, Disney, as I pointed out, while the Dow Jones up 38% over the last five years, they've dropped 17% in their value. Um, how long will shareholders tolerate this type of you know wokeness trumping profit. I mean that's why you invest in a company. I mean you invest in a company to make money, not to uh, at least most people, not 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 to advance a set of values that are contradictory to your own.
6: Well I, I think we're starting to see a big part of that verdict already. I mean the share the share value of Disney isn't dropping because you know, profits are down, they're, it's dropping because people are selling the stock. There are more sellers than there are buyers. Uh, so I think shareholders are already starting uh, to issue their verdict on Disney, and it's it not a very favorable one. Uh, as far as the board of directors goes, I don't know. I, I If it were up to me, uh, if I were running the board of directors of Disney, I would say Bob Iger's done. Uh, but clearly it's not up to me. Um, I would say they give him at least another year. Um, if next year is as bad as this year was, uh, I think that he has to be uh, concerned about being pushed out into a second retirement. So,
1: so Steve, uh, final question for you. Is, is it your sense that other corporations are watching this? I mean, you mentioned Bud Light. We talked about Target, Disney. Are, are they sitting back taking notes on this? And are we seeing some corporations kind of back away from this political, cultural engagement as a result?
6: Yeah, I, I, I think it's pretty clear that the general uh, – Zeitgeist in American business is to depoliticize uh as much as possible at this point. Sometimes that's going to be very difficult uh given positions that have been taken just in the last 3 4 5 years. Uh, but I think that that a great many uh executives and managers have seen uh just how um potent uh customer reaction can be. Uh it used to be the case that uh nobody feared conservative uh, consumers very much because conservative boycotts always fail. I don't think that's the case anymore. Uh, I think that um, even though these are not organized boycotts, uh, that they have been very effective uh, and that they have certainly sent a message uh, to the companies that have been affected and to others who might go down that same road. Uh, You know, as, you know, to use the the, uh, godfather analogy, these guys are Luca Brasi. Uh, swimming with the fishes—they're the warning to the rest of business that if you push this too far, uh, you will end up the same way. So I, I, I think that what we're starting to see among uh, a great many corporate leaders is a desire simply to get out of the politics business. And,
1: and your recommendation to consumers would be to continue to uh, to vote with your dollars and avoid those yeah, businesses that vote contradict your values. Values.
6: Yep, vote with your dollars and invest with your dollars. Invest your values as well.
1: All right, uh, Steve Sokup, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Appreciate the work you do on the corporate front.
6: Thank you very much for having me,
1: Tony. I Appreciate it. All right, Steve Sokup. Uh, if you find out more. Go to TonyPerkins.com. I, I, I find this really interesting and encouraging as we see the consumers responding to this, and you know whether or not these corporations get it. I don't know. I mean, you look at Disney. I don't know that they'll do a course correction, but you know what? We can live without Disney. But I'm I'm concerned about what I see in the federal government doing the same thing. We talked about this yesterday with the Department of Defense seeking another $114 million for diversity, equity, and inclusion training. Now, we can live without Disney, but we cannot live without a military that—or with a military that's lost its purpose. And our military's purpose is not to advance DEI. It is to be a lethal force— to keep this nation safe. And this is why we've got to speak out so clearly against this woke agenda, destroys businesses, and leads countries down the wrong path. This will only weaken our military even more as this Biden administration continues to seek this nonsense that corporate America is now having to reckon with in terms of lost profits fortunately, the government just prints more money. But there comes a point when our military, when it's weakened and can't defend this country, it'll be too late. It's why we must pray, we must vote, and we must stand. Folks, thanks so much for being with us today. And until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything that you can do, when you've prayed, When you've prepared and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing.
0: Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action.